podcast. You like that little upswing? I, I just changed the tune of my voice a little bit. Hit me with it. This is <laughs> this is Evan. I didn't mean to do it. <laughs> and I'm here with Christopher Ritter. What's up? Much much lower tempo. Yeah, goofy times here on the podcast. Welcome to the show, everybody. If you didn't know, this is the number one podcast on the internet for Magic the Gathering and Dr. Pepper. And uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can find us on YouTube, or you can like, subscribe, and, uh, well, leave a comment. If you uh, see something on today's show, or if you are listening to this, and you want to communicate with us, doing so on in the YouTube comment section is probably the most effective way. And uh, you can also find us on all major podcasting platforms. You can join our Discord community server, where we're having conversations about the topics that we talk about on the show. And you can also support us on Patreon and become an official Pepperhead. For $3 a month, you become a supporter of the show and get access to two exclusive channels on the Discord server. And your name turns Dr. Pepper Red. All right. Today, we are going to roll through a few of the things that happened this past weekend. MagicCon Chicago was this past weekend and we got to see a lot we saw cards from not just one set or three sets but five sets of of previews uh came out on saturday which was super exciting to see new cards new mechanics uh, uh all the ideas that they've been working on for the past few years or like come to light and just get uh, a glimpse into the future, a glimpse into 2024. Ritter, what did you think about uh, a lot of these things? I, you know, it's not that is just a general like, are you excited? Are you uh, like, are you confused by some of these things? Or, um, I mean, uh, I don't know if excited is the word, and I don't know if confused is the word. I, I mean, I'm looking at it now, it you know. I think what Wizards has gotten good at and the direction they're going in um, is a lot more universes beyond, right? So, like, oh, yeah. we're talking about five new sets, but several of these are universes beyond products. And then even then, man, Bloomsboro or Bloomboro is allegedly a mainline product, but mm-hmm. it is essentially universes beyond because it's based on a different IP. Uh, you have Fallout, which is other ip assassin's creed other ip uh modern horizons 3 not a mainline set like it impacts modern it impacts eternal formats things like that um you got one real set in the mix and it's outlaws of thunder Junction. outlaws of thunder junction and that's cowboys versus aliens yeah which is uh, again not the traditional you know what magic is about if you've been with the game for now 31 years um like you know, it, it is what the game is, so I don't I don't know how I feel about any of it. Like, definitely, the flavor is correct within each of these themings. Um, whether this is now a whether the game of Magic in any format is a coherent uh, thing, uh, I don't know if that's true anymore. Like, you know, it, it's definitely. Right looking at all the all five of these things side by side and comparing that in my mind to you know what the traditional magic stuff is uh, i mean magic the gathering is fortnite it is ready player one right now like that that's yeah. just it is what it is it, so i'm definitely not excited about that <laughs> i'm not confused about it i understand it from a business point of view i understand it from uh, a popularity of the game point of view from a gameplay point of view um you know, I, I just, you know, and we've been, this has been in the background, I think, for the past few months with me. Is like, I'm just not playing the game. I, I am not interested in Magic the Gathering right now because I don't enjoy the Fortnite vibe. I don't enjoy the Ready Player One vibe. Like, uh, to the extent that, like, the movie Ready Player One, directed by Steven Spielberg, one of the greatest directors of all time, I think it's dog shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. I am just not interested in these vibes. Yeah, totally. That was one of the talking points because, like, 
at MagicCon, like this is the sh- this is the stage for like all the minds in Magic, the people who are developing the game, and then also the lead designers, people who are you know responsible for designing it, like. Morrow got on stage and this will either upset you or confirm your current beliefs, but they are using the March of the Machine events like that event line to say that the multiverse and how planeswalkers are traveling it is changing, has changed forever due to these events. And so we're basically able to like with Outlaws of Thunder Junction, they did, they couldn't come up with a good reason like that was this is what bothered me the most was they couldn't come up with a good reason to put Oko and Tiny Bones in the same plane together no story or anything they're just like we wanted to do it and because the multiverse has changed and how planeswalkers travel it we were able to and okay, so but isn't that just the plot of Space Jam too? Yeah, <laughs> like they, you know, WB, and Ready Player One, and uh, the, blah, blah, blah. The, the corporate entity owns all this IP, has access to all this IP, um, and they couldn't. They were like, "Well, it's great, we got the Looney Tunes and real movie stars together in Space Jam," but there was a reason for that. I, I mean, not a great reason, but a, a reason. Now, like you know, now we're in the Space Jam two point where it's just silliness, and you're inventing algae rhythm. You know, as the reason for this, the same as the multiverse is like the way the omen paths and shit are. Um, I would never think that important. like algae you know, rhythm would come up in on on this show, but here we are. I I try to work them in every episode. Big yeah. Don Cheadle fan. You know, <laughs> say what I will about Space Jam too, but it's for free on Don Cheadle. Yeah, you can watch it for free on Amazon right now with limited advertisements. Um. Yeah, man. I feel that for sure, and that's ultimately what. Yeah, and speaking of limited statement. advertisements, like how far are we from having like ads on the cards themselves, dude? In a, at well, some point, like work. Yeah, on the cards is yeah, that would be a problem. But like, like every you know, pack like you buy, these, I, I feel like we're so close to one of these universes beyond sets. Just like there being a QR code on the face of like Cleopatra from Assassin's Creed to go buy like DLC, exclusive DLC related to that card oh. you know, or the new Assassin's Creed game or some shit like that. Why'd you not, have to put that, that into the that universe? Heads, you know? Yeah. So No, it's a yeah, uh, Roko's Basilisk. Yeah, I mean the funny thing is about those Assassin's Creed cards, the alternate arts, they literally they are the same layout as a Final Fantasy card. Like it it, mm-hmm. it it's kind of funny how close in design they are and how similar they look. So uh, we'll we'll get to those eventually, but it's yeah, it's looking like there is not a lot of uh, cohesive uh, design going on behind the scenes here. There's they are in every direction. They are in deep space right now, and they are not sure which way to go. They're just like, well, it's infinite space to design. We can go in any direction. Yeah. I mean, they're testing the waters what the market will to- tolerate, like in terms of the content. And like, you know, even before this, we've seen them testing the waters in terms of what the market will tolerate for products, like in terms of different types of booster packs, different variations of, uh, you know, collectors treatments to, to cards within the collectors packs and things like that. Like, yeah, um, you know, I, I feel like Wizards as, you know, Magic the Gathering as a brand as part of, part of Wizards Coast, as a brand, as part of Hasbro, as a corporate entity, um, are deep, deep in the waters of just like, we are going to print whatever's going to make us money, and the cohesive thing around the game um, is lost in that right now. Yeah, that's it's been a big thing where now the design elements from being so outside of the normal bounds of what Magic has been for, for so long, and I got to really actually... Uh, little aside here when i was playing games this weekend i was talking with logan um on uh from journey's end where i met and we played against each other and uh we were talking about like some of this stuff like some of the new cards hey did you see the stuff from Magicon or whatever and i was saying how back like in block format this is stuff that never would have happened because they're able to like expand on concepts like you Put in, introduce the concept in one set and then it gives you time to like maybe adjust the second set or, or whatever and, and balance 
like the mechanics that you're implementing in the game. And he said that he had only been in the game for two years. And so this, like there's, yes, there's a wide array of product, but being introduced at Kamigawa, like this is like, this is actually ex- like acceptable and like not out of the ordinary for new players because like either the universe is beyond stuff got them in or like, uh, and so they're just expecting to see more and more of that or they are so recent that they have just been, this is the only exposure they have is yeah, stuff like I, this. I mean, so, I, I don't, ex- you know, when I'm saying this stuff, I don't expect the game to revert to the way it was. Cause like no. that's, that's just the old world. It's, it's not yeah. here anymore. You know, uh, just wanting things to be a ways, to be a certain way doesn't make it so, right? Right. Um, I can. This is just, you know. Yeah. This is what the game is right now. Uh, and so it it is sort of that like Call of Duty or Fortnite model where it's just like you got seasons and you have constant DLC and you need the constant new content and there's that churn of new content and that's the way that younger players interact with not just magic the gathering but with all of their gaming with all of their content with all of their like media and and all that sort of stuff it just is what it is and it's just not a comfortable thing for me oh totally and it's like the design elements that we're seeing now are actually like i'm starting i've i've always been one to like want to know like or at least have some frame of reference to these mechanics if I'm ever to like see them or play against them. But now I am trusting the player who is playing the stuff to tell me what it is. I'm I'm like, there is not enough room in this noggin, regardless of how big it is on screen, to store all of these like mechanics that are happening. Like the reintroduction of energy, fine. I you know, like I sort of like understand energy, but when it comes down to with Outlaws at Thunder Junction of um, you know, like introducing committing crimes. Yeah, and... where there's no reminder text on any of these cards nope. to say what committing a crime is. And so you are like, uh, what sequence of events? Like, you know what? I'm, I, you, someone will tell me. Like, yeah, it, and it sucks that, like, it's like night and day. Judges Academy have, Judges Academies have gone away at the same time the complexity of the game has exploded where almost you need <laughs> yeah. a judge in every situation where you're not like playing on arena where it's not programmed in you know yeah yeah that is um it, it is amazing at like the the timing of that where it's like yeah no longer supporting your judge academy when there are new mechanics being introduced in every single set and the support for old mechanics has just fallen through the floor um, you know, like even Fibblethip here from Thunder Junction, the top card of your library has plot. The plot cast cost is equal to its mana cost. You may plot non-land cards from the top of your library. What the fuck is plot? <laughs> like, yeah, I, you know, I get, I get if you want to expand the number of evergreen keywords in the game, expand it. I, but like you need to create new pants. <laughs> new mechanics within people's existing understanding of the game without constantly creating like these new like terms that aren't evergreen that are just going to be in one set and that are come attached with like a whole set of roles to them that like you just need to know in incidental cases to play the game at a top level but probably aren't going to matter you know it's clutter almost yeah it's It's like mechanical clutter to the game (laughs) And it's outside, like things like that are outside the game that are being introduced. Like, like we had even reached our point with like night and day when that was introduced. So it's like if you're playing that, you keep track of that shit. And like, yeah. it's it's one more thing to like keep your mind on. If you're even in a competitive sense, where just last night I was playing against a few people who are playing sticker cards because mm-hmm. some of those cards are relevant and have that power level where they can be played in cdh like there's a goblin that adds mana equal to the uh number of vowels that are Mm -hmm. um in the sticker or on the sticker so it's it's crazy and it's like you know what i just i just trust you know how to play it and i trust that you're gonna like do the right thing here 
Yeah, and and here's the thing. I keep going back to video games with these analogies, but it's like when you watch someone playing World of Warcraft or like Final Fantasy fourteen or something, and they're doing these like super advanced raids, and you see like 40 different icons on the screen in one corner for the various like buffs and debuffs yeah. and other, you know, stuff that's going on. Magic now has that, except for like those all those little icons are like the dungeons that are being entered, the stickers, the night and the day, the this, the that, the city's blessing, yeah. um, all these other additional functions. And I think younger players, like, that is how they experience gaming. That has always been a part of gaming for them, where for me, it's just more clutter. It's just cluttering the screen. Like, I want the HUD to be nice and clear and, like, my interface with playing the game. Like, you know, I want it to be... I, I almost, uh, I don't know. I, I want it to be cleaner. Yeah. And, you're, and it, this stuff just clutters it up. No, it's totally justified because I hate to harken back to the ready player one, like reference all the time. We don't, we're not a ready player one mm-hmm. podcast, but the, uh, there's one scene that keeps drawing me back. Like it's when the evil corporate CEO is like, when we gain control of, this game world uh we have done studies that have uh, that will that have proven positive that we can make 80 percent of the screen advertisements without disrupting the player experience like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's like it's like what <laughs> do really and so with all this uh, we're seeing some like magic IP stuff come back around with Modern Horizons three, you know, new Emmercool mm-hmm. stuff like that. Introduction of Priest of Titania to Modern. We're gonna see what that does, but outside of that, where you know you're in Assassin's Creed land, you're in um, even Bloomboro. Yeah, does, in- does it almost does it almost seem to to you that like, and this is paradoxical, that Modern Horizons three and these like Modern Horizon sets are the least mechanically complex of the new stuff because you're not necessarily <laughs> yeah. learning new <laughs> you're you don't have to learn all this new information to be able to play these cards like these modern horizons 3 out of all five things that we're looking at right now is the new player pick up and play or you know recent player pick up and play set right yeah and even the like the fallout stuff like we had talked about it a little bit before being like well balanced and it's sort of like it can exist in the vacuum that, you know, of playing against itself. Like you can play one deck against each other and it's it's fine and it's balanced and everything. Mm-hmm. The the thing is Yeah, that, and, and I, I I think they're still doing a great job of that. Yeah, like the I, as far as flavor goes for this set, like for Fallout, they did great. Like because it none of it is overpowered. There is not a single card outside of like outside cases where the CDH community is interested in any of this at all, which tells me you did it like perfect. This is the perfect level. Like we don't need an introduction or a pushed card to every, you know, for CDH in every single set, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to yep. get that with every, you know, with sets coming out and uh, for, to get one set that doesn't have anything that's like truly interesting. It's like, great. I actually, this is awesome because I don't have to pay attention to it. It's not an IP that I'm actually interested in. And uh, mm-hmm. I, my mental headspace is now more clear because of it. So mm-hmm. this is like, <clears throat> God, I feel like we could talk all day about uh, the weird sort of like amalgamation this game has become. Uh, but, you know, I think we'll expand on that as we sort of like dive into some of these cards. So, um, yeah, were there any cards that jumped out at you? Like, I, I mean, you. This is the transition point, right? You just yeah. said, uh, you know, you can ignore a lot of this stuff for CDH purposes if you want. Um, any out of anything that was spoiled, though, is there anything that you think is going to have an impact? I mean, there's definitely some interesting stuff from Fallout um, that that might have a home. I, I want to say from. I do feel good about the secret lair associated with Fallout. I think they did a great job here of making mm-hmm. playable cards. That like, if you are trying to tune these Fallout precons, or even if you like playing Ready Player One, the card game, and you want all the mixed IPs IPs in here, um, all six of these cards could be playable to you. Um, so good job, Wizards, on designing that secret lair. Totally. That's like. Um... 
I agree with that. That's where I wish they would like. Yeah, that's that's the direction that I think they they should be going with it. Out of all the cards that were um, spoiled from Magicon, that are like it, I'll just I'm gonna go straight to Outlaws of Thunder Junction. I think that there's one card here for sure that can actually see play, and that's Tiny Bones, the pickpocket. Uh, so yeah, for, the new Tiny Bones is pretty dope. Yeah, for one black mana, you get a one-one death touch. Whenever Tiny Bones, the pickpocket, deals combat damage to a player, you may cast target non-land permanent card from that player's graveyard, and mana of any type can be spent to cast that spell. This is a as far as like standard goes, and as far uh, this is essentially the mono black Ragavan, like for. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like unlikely to be blocked in the early uh, early parts of the game, and this is going to be ass. This is going to suck in limited. Like if you are playing draft mm-hmm. or whatever, this is going to suck. But no, this is definitely a high power card. You can even see it in CDH where it acts kind of like a mnemonic betrayal if you're in a more creature based strategy or if you don't have reach for blue. Exactly. Like that's that's where I see it. Is like this is going to get through a good amount of time. Because, like, well, there are no dead slots unless you're making tokens or whatever. Like, yeah, this it this will eat a token for sure. But uh, there's there's a good chance that if you're not creating tokens or whatever, you're not going to sacrifice your commander unless there's something you like you have in your graveyard that you really don't want them to have. So, mm-hmm. and uh, note, it is a non-land permanent card. So, I mean, you can pull a jeweled lotus you can pull you know for spending no mana there are things that you can grab but you can also grab an underworld breach if for whatever reason it ended up there so they're they're, the ceiling on this their mana acceleration if you need mana acceleration to get into your you know adnals or something yeah your main phase two just like your main phase two adnals is more possible if you know with this Mm -hmm. in it plus it's only one mana so you're not really gonna like you're not breaking the bank here if you're already ad nauseing and you know you reveal this. It's like okay, one life, perfect. Pick up a card, and um, yeah. that's that's where I see the power level here. Is the ceiling is super high. The uh, floor is the floor is also incredibly low because it can hit nothing. You know, in the early parts of the game. Yeah, and I mean it, it's high. I feel like this card is high risk, high reward. Like if you have a way to make this connect and you feel like you're in a situation where you're going to be getting value out of your opponent's graveyards, which is going to be EDH and CDH, um, I feel like it's great. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Are there a lot of graveyard strategies in standard right now where there's going to be preying on stuff? Maybe, but I think Trespasser getting in it, getting an extension sort of like supersedes this where, you know, that's just punishing towards life totals and it allows you to like gain life and whatnot um once graveyard trespasser sort of cycles out maybe that maybe this can be that low end like uh way to just exile cards from oh you can't even it doesn't exile it and then you cast it it is just you may cast from the graveyard i mean like one one death touch for one you know in whatever mono black aggro strategy there is it's it has some potential at least right Sure. Yeah, I think that if you're like if playing, you're not playing on getting the graveyard synergies off of it. Yeah, if you're playing like heavy removal too, like you know, this comes down turn two, you blast, you blast whatever blocker they put out. Like even if it's a dork, like then you hit them with tiny bones and you cast their dork and it pushes you further ahead. Like I always hate when opponents get control of cards that I'm playing because I know the power level of it or I know how yeah you know effective it can contribute or how it contributes to a strategy. So, um, yeah, I think this has, has potential. Does it make it in the cut for Timna builds? Probably not. I don't know. Like, no. <clears throat> it's going to see some testing for sure. I think that's where it mostly comes in is it's going to, um, it's going to require that, like that two to three weeks of testing for people to really suss out whether or not it's going to find a home. Like, I think that, you know, with the Massacre Girl from this last set, uh, because I had put the question out there, you know, is this good enough? And from someone who's been playing it regularly, like they said, yeah, it is actually good enough and has proven to be a reliable enough card engine to like to warrant running in my build. And like that 
speaks volumes that I didn't think that card I didn't think that card had that potential, but here we are yeah. now. I think a slot might exist for this somewhere in the right deck. For sure. Like yeah, that's where I'm at. It's not an immediate for me, not an immediate include into um anything that I'm currently playing, but I do see its ceiling. I do see its potential. Um, Was there anything else from uh, Outlaws of Thunder Junction you want to talk about? I see, I, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of potential with this. I think it's a little underpowered, the sort of wealth and power, them extending the sword cycle. Um, I think oh, it's yeah. interesting. I just don't think the effects here do it, where you're going to play it over one of the, you know, color-associated swords. Um, so this one is equipped creature gets plus two plus two and has protection from instants and sorceries, um, which is sort of ward like in the protection it provides. Yeah. And uh, whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token, which is good. And when you next cast an instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy, which is also very good. Um, I just don't know what deck would want to play this. I think that right now this sword is well. It's hard. It's it's impossible to measure up to Feast and Famine or Fire Nice, just due to like I think those were designed in a time when they were unsure how that would influence future formats or like you know yeah. we didn't know Commander was like gonna explode at that time. So like Sword of Wealth and Power right now, I think this is actually pretty busted. I'm not even sure like what. This isn't like Outlaws of Thunder Junction. I don't even know what set this is from. Let me take a look. It's, it's, it's called okay. The Vault. Yeah, it does have a different symbol. Yeah, it's called The Vault, which is, uh, I'm not really sure, uh, but I will do some diving into that. I think this give, basically gives protection from, uh, well, a lot. Just because most of our removal in in any format is instant or sorcery based, so this is essentially protection or pseudo-indestructible. Like, it also protects, since it's protection, it doesn't take damage either uh, from these things. So uh, you can't be blasphemous acted, like with something like this. Um, or like widespread damage effects aren't going to destroy the creature that uh, this is like equipped to. So it has like that also in its boundary, which I think is pretty uh, neat and unique. Now, as far as what it does, I think, it, like, when you make contact, the thing about the other swords is that they allow you to get through the defense. Like, this yeah. this doesn't yep. allow you to get through the defense. It just... Nope. No, uh, no instants or sorceries will be blocking you. Right. Sure. <laughs> so, it's it's funny that it it does protect against like removal that is like more common but it also doesn't allow you to get through to get that secondary effect which is its biggest weakness and yeah well i also think that like what you're getting for five mana three to cast it two to equip it is a treasure token and a copy yeah and and a copy spell you know i think there's power there but i just don't get um why you would play it yeah the secondary Yeah, the secondary copying something is where, like, this has potential. Like, the treasure token. There's easier nice. ways to copy a spell. Like, I, yeah, you're I'd gonna rather play... just do like a dual caster loop. Exactly. You and that is a hundred percent what I was just gonna say is like you are a hundred percent unless you are equipment based deck, you are building something unique. This is off meta or whatever. This might find a home, but if you are just looking to copy a spell, play dual caster. Because it is just faster. It is instant speed. It has, you know, like, because it has flash. This is, I just learned, you know, basically, I'm learning all the time now that I'm playing more games. But, like, I'm playing in my Indoraptor list, I'm playing Clothis. And I really need instant speed graveyard interaction. And I was waiting for it to come back around to my turn to exile a very important card from a graveyard. I didn't get another turn. That really sucked. So this is like, I need to copy this instant or sorcery, and I would like to do it right now. But this sword is not letting me do that. I think ultimately people will see that and be like, nah, this is getting cut. Just like all other swords have been cut from all CDH builds, this will also get cut unless somebody finds a way or somebody sees the Matrix in a different way where they're able to break this. 
Um, so I'm excited for it. I I think it's the, like we said, they're branching into new, like uh, expanding the sword line. I will, I'm, I will give them the room to do whatever they would like with it. Cause I, I can't say that I'm a, uh, I feel that it's broken or busted or that it's too weak. It's right in that, right in that perfect design space. If that makes, in my opinion, for me. Yeah. Good card, not a great card. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, now, moving to Bloomboro, there's a bit of conversation to be had here. Now, this is where they have decided to draw the line on entering the battlefield, which means that they are, uh, and what I mean by that is that they are nixing that line of text. They are just limiting it to enters. So now, when something says, enters it is saying enter the battlefield so when uh so there's a new card called uh, mabel heir to crag flame this is the hero of a story it is one a red and a white legendary mouse soldier a three three other mice you control get plus one plus one when mabel heir to of uh, or heir to crag flame enters create crag flame an equipment artifact token with equipped creature gets plus one plus one and has vigilance trample and haste with equipped two. So uh, note that there aren't things that enter the graveyard. There aren't things that enter exile and there aren't things that They're enter your put hand. into the graveyard, put into exile. Yes. Right? So this yeah. is something they've decided to shorthand because it, it, it does make sense. They have just written it the other way for so long that, uh, you know, it seems like, why would you change this now? But here we are. They are getting rid of the enter the battlefield line, which will shorten that line of text by two words, meaning they can fit two more words of effects into more that text words. box. Yeah, <laughs> new keywords into the text box. So it makes sense. Uh, it's a change that I, I'm here for it. You know, it's like it, it absolutely, when they explained it, makes absolute sense. So... Now we see things that when, you know, there's another card, a rabbit soldier named Burke, that when Burke, long ear of the law, enters, put a blossom plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. Now, what we'll see moving forward after this set, all sets until Bloomborough will still include enter the battlefield. But after that, any printing of old cards that we get will say enters, not enter the battlefield. So there will be uh, an era uh, there will be a clear line in the sand between eras here, the more modern and new, uh, newfangled era of just enters and enter the battlefield. But uh, as far as Bloomborough goes, there aren't any really like cards from this that really make me say, wow, you know, crazy, you know, so far. But we do, we did get a few artworks from Magicon of Jace and Ral, and they have been anthropomorphized into an otter well ral is an otter and jace is a fox so this is uh going deep in the bag for this one i'm gonna i'm excited to see what they do uh now ral being an elemental otter is perfect maybe we get some sort of like lutri effect from that but um i who knows but like i said we've only seen these like two mythics and a rare so, yeah, when is this set drop? Actually, ooh, that is a good question. I'll uh, this one up. is in the fall or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's gonna go Outlaws of Thunder Junction, and then Modern Horizons three, and then Bloomboro after that. Um. So, uh, now Modern Horizons three, we have new cards, and we have a couple of old cards that are coming to Modern. Uh, the most exciting, I'm sure, people are looking forward to is Emrakul, the world anew. For 12 mana, you get a legendary creature, Eldrazi. Emrakul is back and uh, no longer contained within the moon. When you cast a spell, gain control of all creatures target player controls. It has flying, protection from spells, and from permanence, permanence that were cast this turn. When Emrakul, the world anew, leaves the battlefield, sacrifice all creatures you control, and it has madness. And if you're unfamiliar with madness, because there's no reminder text, madness is when you discard a card, you may exile it, and then cast it for its madness cost. And in this case, it is six colorless mana. Um, 
I don't know how strong this is. I mean, all of the things that are on that card are good. Like, <laughs> what comes of that? Who knows? Yes, and uh, so it, it's just wild that it has protection from things, protection from spells and from permanents that were cast this turn. So you can't cast an instant. You can't like something on the battlefield has to have already existed for a turn in order to interact with this. Mm-hmm. So. Like that, it's just a kooky line of text because it doesn't matter if it's your opponent's turn or your turn. If your opponent tries to cast a spell on your turn, it doesn't work because it, it has protection from spells that were cast this moment. Yep. That's super fucked. <laughs> yeah, that is so hard to get around, right? Yeah. It's a. That is like the ultimate form of ward. Yeah. It's, uh, and you can't like. You can't leyline binding it because it entered the battlefield that turn. It's a permanent like that was cast this turn. So the what do you what do you, things are in the bag? What do you have in your tool of interact tools of interaction that will allow you to interact with this? Do you have twelve? Act does not do it. Nope, nope. Uh, Toxic deluge does it. Uh, if you want to pay twelve life and lose the game, that will will be sufficient for your opponent because they're probably holstering another one of these. This will probably be one of those cards that um, people will question. I know we questioned a couple like mainstays like, uh, you know, we'll say like right away, no one knew how good Shieldred was going to be. And so the pre-orders were for like $20. Well, if you bought them in at $20, you're probably, probably feeling pretty good about your investment. Uh, because I, if this pre-sale pre-sells for anything less than forty, I would be interested in getting on board. You know, getting a few copies because this is going to be a house. It it gains control of all creatures. Like those creatures don't gain haste or anything like that, which would make this card absolutely busted. But it does take away all the blockers that your opponent would have for any given turn, allowing a free swing in with the creatures that were already there. Plus it has madness, which madness allows you to cast things at instant speed because it circumvents normal timing restrictions by when you discard it, you are discarding it and then exiling it immediately. And then the game gives you the option to cast it at that moment. There's like, that is your option is to cast it in the moment that it's discarded. So I think that blood, like the blood tithe harvester line, the Rakdos uh, mid range decks that are already sort of like seeing play in modern are going to love this because blood tokens are going to allow you to discard this and go big casting Emrakul. Um, <laughs> Yowza. I don't know if this will see play in CDH, but it is already like on my mind of something that I could potentially. I mean, it's see. cool top end if you're if you need a big top end for something, right? Yeah, you know, but there's, it, there's often a little bit of room for flare in in that slot if mm-hmm. you just need a big fat you know creature at the top end, and this could be that flare depending on the deck, right? Yeah, uh, notably, it is weak to flicker. Um, like mechanics or like flicker spells and stuff like that. So you could like um, cloud shift a bouncy thing, you know, and then push it back to somebody's hand. Um, You know, if the creature is entering the battlefield, like uh, I guess like finale of devastation would get around this where it's like, it is bringing something to the battlefield that hasn't entered the battlefield effect for a creature that wasn't cast. You know, so we're starting to figure it out a little bit. Cheating things onto the battlefield, not casting them is the way to do it. Another card that has come from the set, which I think is might or well might actually be good enough, is Flare of Cultivation is one green. Oh, yeah. Great card. Yeah. One green green sorcery. You may sacrifice a non-token green creature rather than pay the spell's mana cost. As we all know, cost reductions like this, casting things for free. Pretty darn good. Search your library for up to two basic lands. Reveal those cards. Put one of them into your or onto the battlefield. Tapped and the other into your hand. 
then shuffle. So it's cultivate, but you have the option to cast it for free by sacrificing what is likely a mana dork. So I think this is going to be powerful ramp and will probably over like it'll overrule cultivate and Kodama's reach in commander once it's printed. Yeah, I, I mean, anytime a something in, you can cheat the casting cost, it is probably worth playing. Yeah, and if you are playing like low to the ground, even <clears throat> so, like if you're, I don't know, whatever that one green hybrid Selesnia mana elf is. Oh, I can't remember its name, but yeah, I would gladly sacrifice my commander if it was one green mana for this effect mm-hmm. because it means that I can play it again on the next following turn. Uh, sure can. Yeah, this is awesome. Old cards that are coming into the fray now: Priest of Titania. Always powerful, always wonderful. And then we have Lelia, the Blade Reforged, which was a commander exclusive card for a long time, now seeing play in Moderns. Two red with haste, so has value right away and allows you to exile it. When it attacks, exile the top card of your library. You may play it this turn. And then one or more, whenever one or more cards are put into exile from your library and or your graveyard, put a plus one plus one counter on Lelia. Uh, I think we're going to see what it does. In modern, it might be slow, might be too slow, but it, it is a good card. Uh, and we do have a new mythic planeswalker, a new one, uh, new planeswalker to the cycle. It is Ajani uh, Nakadal Pariah for a one and a white. You get a legendary cat warrior that's a one two. When it enters the battlefield, create a two one white cat warrior creature token whenever one or more other cats you control die you may exile ajani then return to the battlefield transformed under under his owner's control and when it flips it is a boros planeswalker so the identity here is red and white you can plus two put a plus one plus one counter on each cat you control you can zero it out uh create a two one cat warrior Creature token, when you do, if you control a red permanent other than a Johnny, uh, deal this, uh, he deals damage equal to the number of creatures you control to any target. That's pretty powerful. And then you can also... It mu- is, although I would say because the front side is only only as white pips, it does nerf it as a cat commander. Totally. Yeah. You're right. It like I mean, it has it has decent legs because of the plus two, but that zero is useless almost because you're only creating a token. Right. Yeah. Um, the the last the ultimate is minus four. Each opponent chooses an artifact or creature, an enchantment, and a planeswalker from among non-land permanents they control, then sacrifices the rest. So it has a balance as the alt, uh, which yep. is you know enters with three loyalty. So it's not going to be hard to get there, and. Part of me thinks that you're going to be able to do that, like to get to that alt more often than not. So, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you could uh, flip it, proliferate alt. You know, yeah. it, it's just one one loyalty away. Right, and God, it seems it seems really good. I and it, it it's in obviously Modern Horizons three. So yeah, the likely and it's a mythic. So um, it is. Let's let's just say that it is really good, and uh, we're probably going to see this. Uh, I don't since it's very limited to cats in general. I doubt this mm-hmm. is CDH playable. There might be cats. Not CDH. I mean, there's there's an EDH cat deck you can make out of this. There's a oh yeah of random things right. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I think there is for sure. Probably like, like white cat landfall something. Yeah, with uh, like Felidar retreat would work really yep. well with this. There's, yeah, there's just enough going on here that it will stimulate strategies that already exist. Like, if you bought the cat and dog commander deck secret lair, like, hey, you just got a shiny new toy. This is, this is great for that deck. All right. The Assassin's Creed stuff is okay. <laughs> there's... <laughs> It's it's all well and good. I I might save that for another day to talk about. While I mean, we... there might be some potential there for uh, Enzio as a commander. Uh, not like high powered, but it it does have pay five win the game on there. That's true. Um, or not? No, actually, actually, never mind. It has target player loses the game, which is worse. 
yeah yeah it is not it is objectively worse and uh it's well we still don't know what free running is so it, god it'd be it'd be no, so no no it, it says it on the reminder text i think you may cast a spell for its free running cost if you dealt combat damage to a player this turn with an assassin or commander. Oh, ho, whoa. I'm looking at the alternate art, which is probably why. Ah, uh, gotcha. It's, yeah. it's sort of adjacent to ninjutsu. Yeah. But so you can still, well, unless they have flash. Yeah. So y- you ignore or you uh, can only basically cast those spells in your second main phase, set you up for the following turn. Um, but yeah, making a player lose the game is pretty darn good. Uh, but it is, yeah, again, one of those things you can't do it at instant speed. It is just on combat damage. But I think as long as this set follows the path set before it by Fallout, we're not introducing new cards that uh, warp or change the way we see or play the game the way it currently stands. Maybe I'm just an old head and I want to see things sort of maintain balance but um I, I think that as long as you create it within the vacuum where it's good against itself and it's good against maybe the fallout decks and it's good against the warhammer decks or whatever all good by me i'm chilling mm-hmm. with this it's not i'm not really an assassin's creed player uh unless they start introducing black flag cards i am not really interested i want to see more pirates baby that's when that's probably what will be playable is if they introduce like cards from the from Black Flag then and that are also pirates in addition to being assassins then the those will probably see play just due to the the prevalence of Malcolm and yeah that creature typing is well is really good right now so uh and I am let's see so there are there are going to be cards in Allah's of Thunder Junction that are like aside from it. Like we see that there's alternate printings. There's an alternate printing Thoughtsies. of Thoughtseize. Yep. Yep. And uh outside of that, like it uh oh yeah. Scrolling up, we are going to the uh on Sunday, we had spoilers for more Modern Horizons 3 stuff where we got to see an alternate art version of Solitude, with, uh, and it's the game day promo uh, dealio. So the thing is, is that with this, it gives us insight to say that we're probably going to see one of each of these Evoke creatures get a reprint with uh, with a game day promo, like sort of like uh, treatment. So... And then we also get a new card. We get another new card with snow-covered wastes, where it says it is a basic snow land, uh, but it does not have a land type, so you can't really... You know, there's limitations to that. And we're getting all five of the... These are the enemy bounce lands, or the enemy fetch lands, uh, I believe. But, yeah, we're actually getting reprints of Bloodstained Mire, Wooded Foothills, and Windswept Teeth. Flood Strand and Bluted Delta. These were all rising in price. They were getting to be unattainable for a while, you know, paying 65. Yeah, I, I mean, my feeling is that fetches should be about 20, shocks should be about 10. And whatever you got to do to reprint them to get them there, that is what you got to do. Hell yeah. Like 100%. I am so on board with that. If it's every time we get a Modern Horizons set or every time we get some sort of like master set that these reprints are hitting the market like give me give me one a year give me give me one masters or one horizons or one commander whatever set every single year with fetch lands in it yep yeah they're they're an essential part of many formats you know they shouldn't be cost restrictive to the player yeah i'm not playing wall the game right and i like I am under the impression that if I pull a fetch land from a pack, regardless of how heavily saturated the fetch land market is, I will feel so good about opening that pack. Mm-hmm. So it, it is definitely uh, one of those things that's rewarding because you just know that your land, your mana base is just that much more secure and uh, you don't have to go out and spend a crazy amount of money on one of these cards. Uh, and then we have the uh, we have one more spoiler from Outlaws of Thunder Junction. This is the Nathan 
Stewart, Nathan Stewart, world champion uh, from this last year. They're doing this line of things where Fairy Mastermind was the last one we saw, but now we're seeing where players are able to uh, submit like designs and then the R&D goes at it and sort of like uh, makes it real, like fleshes it out. So this is uh, Duelist of the Mind for one in a blue. You get a uh, star three uh, flying vigilance. Duelist of the Mind's power is equal to the number of cards you've drawn this turn. Whenever you commit a crime, which we still don't know what that means, you may draw a card. If you do discard a card, this ability triggers only once each turn. It turns out that world champions really like to make one uh, or two mana blue cards that have flying and also draw you cards. It's a very powerful mechanic, drawing cards is. It's pretty good. One of the best things you can do in the game. Yeah. Arguably. Second best thing you can do in the game besides winning is probably drawing cards. <laughs> That's <laughs> very astute observation. <laughs> All right, dude. I think that's it for the day. We uh, we got into it for sure. And uh, if you are excited about any spoilers that we might have missed from MagicCon or cards that you're excited about from Fallout that, you know, we just don't uh, have it recognized yet, feel free to leave a comment in the section or in the, uh, you know, on YouTube, you know, that little section down below the video thing that there leave a comment. And uh, if you are listening to us on a podcast platform, make sure you give us five stars. It makes it look makes us look super cool when I'm not rambling, stumbling through my words. You can also join the Discord community server and let us know there what cards you think are super cool from MagicCon Chicago. And if you had a great time at MagicCon Chicago, let us know as well. We've heard mixed reviews, but uh, we're hopeful that we get to return back to Vegas next year and have another uh, be at a magic count one more time or many more times I don't know the future is bright as many times as they'll have us yeah 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 the future is bright for the Mock Stars podcast Ritter any closing uh, comments no man I'm good sweet well we kick some ass today and we'll be back at it again next week stay tuned for more from the Mock Stars Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and a huge shout out to all of our supporters. We love you. Thank you so much. And for everyone who's subscribed so far, uh, it, the best way to support the show is by sharing the show. So um, make sure you do that. Show your friends this awesome, uh, sweet show with two rad dudes. All right. Uh, let's get out of here. <laughs> Bye. Bye.